Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown show. A show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. At the tender age of 10 years old, Mike Henderson first felt the urge to explore. Charting excursions on a city map each weekend, He got on the bus and explored another section of Los Angeles. On family vacations, he would hike and camp while dreaming of faraway places. Mike has traveled to many places nationally and internationally, but considers Yosemite National Park not only his most memorable adventure, but one of his favorite places. With 20 years as a travel consultant, Henderson is passionate about cultural immersion, outdoor adventures, and historical tours. As founder of the Black and Gay Collective and CEO of Bag Travel, Henderson curates travel adventures for groups of varying sizes for members of the Black LGBTQ community. With a background in urban planning, he also desires to share how places function beyond the glamorous travel ads. After two years of virtual lockdown, people are once again ready to travel. Mike shares his personal and professional experience. He helps us not just reimagine our dream vacation, but gives tips on leaving the baggage behind as we re-enter the wide world of travel. Mike, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. Well, I want to welcome my guest, Mike Henderson. And Mike, you are the CEO of Bad Travel. Now, I know you're in Los Angeles. Is Los Angeles home? Yes, Michelle, that's uh, my home. I was born and raised here, a proud Angelino. Um, and as I dive deeper into the interview, it, you, you kind of see the origins of my desire to travel and my desire to uh, let other people enjoy that as well. So, yeah, uh-huh. I'm from Los Angeles, yes. Uh-huh. Did you travel much as a child? You know, did you do those, like those traditional family trips and people think about all the great things and 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 around the California area that people oh you've got to go see this. Did you do that as a kid? Did your family have vacations? Uh, not frequently, but funny story. Uh, instead of spending my allowance money on candy or toys, etc., uh, I used to actually just randomly take buses around the county 
Um, you know, my mother probably thought I was uh, playing with the kids around the corner, but, you know, I would uh, explore. You know, I, was, I had a very explorer's spirit. I would, you know, just take my little day trips, end up in Hollywood, end up downtown. Luckily, I'm still here to talk about it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's, that, that was definitely in my blood. Um would go to Venice Beach, uh, Manhattan Beach, yeah, Long Beach, just everywhere. Just and I, I, I got to know the street plan, the grid. I got to um, learn how to read landmarks to find my direction. So not probably like ten, eleven years old when I started doing that, just exploring, and that that really fueled my hunger for travel at a young age. Um, so we went to family trips maybe every four years or so, but really not outside of um, our media area too far. Maybe we went to San Diego <laughs> or something, but uh, not nothing really extravagant. So I, I sort I mean, of compensated for that. I mean, here you were at 10, and you are, you're planning, you know, your little day excursion. What? I mean... I know at 10, I mean, I might have taken the bus, like, maybe downtown, but usually it was, like, we had to go on groups. My mother would send my sister, my brother, and I. We could take the bus, but we could come back, but not on our own. What made you, mm-hmm. weren't you afraid, first of all, and where did that sense of adventure, like, you know, I'm going to go do this, come from? The fear wasn't there. If I did have any fear, it was definitely overcome by excitement and interest and fascination with people and places. Um, I, in my room, I had a actual window used to make the big Rand McNally maps. I, uh, uh-huh. it was like one, I believe of the entire city of LA. I would actually literally just unfolded it and uh, taped it to my wall, my bedroom wall. So, and then just learn, okay, what, where am I going next weekend? Or plan my whole route. I would learn all the bus routes and um, read encyclopedias about the city of LA and, uh, like little quirky neighborhoods or touristy parts, parts like Alvaro Street, Hollywood, uh, Walk of Fame, um, go down to the Queen Mary. And then I would plan, I'd sit there and get my little marker and plot my route. And she probably thought I was just uh, making the map, my mother <laughs> probably thought I was just making the map look uh, artistic or something, but I was plotting the whole time. Uh, I, I always wanted to come back, so I wasn't a runaway. I was I was an explorer. I uh-huh. so the fear maybe it was naivety, but the fear wasn't there. It was I was more excited, and I I'm pretty street smart. I I really wasn't worried about that necessarily. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should have been, but no, um, the fear wasn't there at all. And I, oh, I had I the think... same attitude the first time I traveled overseas. Uh-huh. Did your mother ever figure out what you were up to? No, I was a very sneaky child. Uh, I was good too so she didn't really need to question I mean my grades were good I was never got into like any real trouble so she never really needed to question where I was or what I was doing did you ever confess I mean you know like mom you remember back those weekends and you wondered what I was doing I was really doing this oh sure when I was in my 40s (laughs) but yeah eventually she, she wasn't surprised I mean she knew I I had that explorer spirit, and I liked to camp and hike. Um, there was a place, I, I grew up in the part of L.A. called Athens, 
it's like just it's county territory but it's kind of close to between the airport and Compton um but they had a a part of it um that was undeveloped um it was like a giant field with multiple hills and it's almost a maybe a quarter quarter square mile i believe so i used to like just hike up in there and um all the time just explore and that that kind of kind of created that that hiking bug as well so when i do travel i also like to go backpacking and you'll see it in my facebook profile um i've been to like many national parks both in this country and others um i like out the outdoors i like getting out i'm not a homebody at all <laughs> so oh the covid made it a little difficult the last couple of years but yeah but yeah i've always been had this itch to get out and explore do you find that, you know, because of that, and I know that when we did go out, we went out in, like, I know more than one way to get to any place in the Metro Detroit area. Do you find that you know things about L.A. from those early excursions that many people who have lived there all their lives aren't aware of? Oh, yeah. it's I made a point of learning those things uh, and also later in college got my master's in urban planning it was that um desire to learn uh, just about how cities are laid out but why they're laid out the way they are um so i, I made it a point to look at you know obviously i needed a, a backup way home <laughs> whenever i went on business uh-huh. anyway so i always always made a backup plan but okay if this street doesn't work okay i'll catch this bus to go the other way and i know the timetables and everything so i I always learned about these different routes of and these different little pockets of not just LA but Southern California that not that are kind of get overlooked. Um, it's a vast place with a very diverse in terms of geography and people and activities and food and music and whatever. It's it's uh, I can't imagine living anywhere else. And it was it's funny because it, it seems like your your home inspires you to see other homes, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Um, yeah. Like a lot of people, they get comfortable and they don't want to go, but actually exploring within such a diverse and robust place as this just put my uh, Explorer hat on, I guess, and or put it in my curiosity and nitro. Okay, I'm going to ask you an L.A. question. Okay, I've been to L.A. a a few times, but this last time when I was there was the first time that I saw what what they call the L.A. River. Okay. Oh, yeah. Was there ever really like a, I mean, I live by the Detroit River, and this was just like, you know, this little concrete ditch. Was there ever a river there? And what have you seen change in the geography of your area? because of gentrification, urban development, from your youth, that you go by, mm, that used to be such a, such a, such thing. Well, as far as the L.A. River first, it was an actual river um, until the Army Corps of Engineers, I think it was the 1930s or 40s, um, had paved it over. So it was a free-flowing river at one time. It wasn't like the Detroit River that's fed by yeah at least three lakes <laughs> so yeah but because la is mediterranean climate it doesn't 
and then there's no huge lake feeding it, but it was a decent sized river. But the problem was um, flooding. So a couple of bad, really bad floods and the Army Corps of Engineers was called in and they just took it, um, walled it over. And unfortunately it wasn't great urban planning because it basically cut off the life of along the river. It, it became what you saw. It's a, it's a storm drain. Um, mm-hmm. Although there have been recent efforts to build like uh, green spaces around it, bikeways, parkways, uh, it's never going to be the scene in the Sin River and Terrace or with the cafes along. It's never going to be that level of beauty, but there is there are efforts to make it more um, usable besides just as a storm drain. But yeah, there's a lot of things that in LA that look the way they are now because of whether it's political reasons or bad planning, but there have been efforts to reverse it. Um, in regards to, uh, I'm sorry, your second question was? What have you seen environmentally or geographically change in the area from uh, like urban planning, gentrification, whatever, that has been a loss to that area? I know are you talked about hiking. Are you are there still places where you can hike? And how does that, that look different? Oh yeah. There's a one of my favorite places to hike is Baldwin Hills. Um it's mm-hmm. also known as like the Black Beverly Hills. That's where uh, one of the few places that uh black celebrities or black upper class could live in LA decades ago. Um I believe Ray Charles was the first black celebrity who kind of sparked that area's uh, dominance in terms of being uh, upscale black area. Uh, it's, it's really pretty. It pretty much it has the best view of LA by far. Um, all the postcards you, um, you see of uh, the skyline with the snow-capped mountains and back, that's all taken from Baldwin. Uh, that area was always upper middle class, upper class, so to speak. I have seen cycles like Inglewood, for example, with SoFi Stadium open. Um, Inglewood had a, it's not completely transformed, but in the 80s, throughout the 90s, like Boys in Hood movies, things like that, Inglewood did have a reputation for violence, gang violence, uh, poverty. And then you look at the property values and immediately around SoFi Stadium, gentrification, and even that's close to also where the area I grew up. You know, I I see some changes there. You have new, oh, there's a Starbucks here. Wow, that would have never been Mm -hmm. possible. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's it's little things, but L.A. is a a general, like L.A. County, it's a place of cycles. There are places that were upper middle class, wealthy, that went down and they come back. And vice versa, where places were always considered the backwater, and then whether it's the pressure of the housing market and the proximity, like take the beach communities, for example, like I mentioned Manhattan Beach earlier, um, pretty much on down to Torrance Beach. Like if you anybody's familiar with LA, if you're at the airport and you're going south, all those little pretty beach communities that look pretty now. Uh, back way decades ago, you couldn't. No one really wanted to live near the beach because that was considered, oh, that's where the dock workers live. That's what, you know, it smells, and that's where 
poor people lived near the water and the rich people were in the hills or inland. Obviously, that's changed. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's probably true of a lot of places, but it, it, it all goes in cycles. There's nothing permanent here, and, that, and that's one of the beauties of L.A. That it's not stuck in any one. Uh, that's one of the criticisms, I think, uh, from people from quote-unquote traditional cities. Oh, there's no history here. There's no there, there. I like decentralization. I like the fact that it's always evolving. It's a, it's a chameleon. It's always changing um, based on what people put into it. So it's very, there aren't too many places like it in the world. And I think that's actually an asset. Now, you mentioned, you know, that you had a background in urban planning. But, you know, as a young person coming up, and you talked about liking to hike and camp and, and your, you know, your travels around the city, did that feed into the urban planning? And did you ever think that, wow, I could make a living doing these things that many people would think are just, oh, these are vacation activities? That was a thought. Um, I, I, was, I, I didn't really have, actually, I didn't really have any doubt that um, I could convince people to love exploration as much as I do and mm-hmm. learning more about where they live. So that's it. And maybe I was just very confident even from a young age. Uh, you know, my, my mentality was, how can anybody not feel this way? They must be crazy. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I mean, I know that that's, that's one way to think about it, really. Um, and then you're not taking where life is short, you know, not taking your environment for granted. You know, there's hidden treasures right in front of you. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of, like, places in Detroit that, you know, you can you have a visitor from the outside, you take them around, oh, you know, you want to go here, you don't want to go there, you know, a little touristy spot. Actually, this is actually more interesting. And go to this neighborhood and check out this mom-and-pop store, this restaurant, you know, it's better than anything that's you can find in the, you know, sanitized areas that are made for tourists. So, yeah, it, it's, it's it's the same for a lot of people. I mean, just for me, um, it's, I, I have that love of where I come from and I can actually take that same mentality and wherever I travel, I'll look for those same things or even expand upon them. So in other words, I, I want to learn about the place, not just what people want me to see about the place. I want to like peel the curtain back and, okay, talk to some locals. Okay. How do you like it here? You know, what do you do? Um, you know, where's the good hangout spot? You know, where's, where can you get good, et cetera. So, I don't like to just hang out in some resort and isolate myself, and that because you, it's like why I do that? And you could just stay at home and <laughs> on a in your pool and a yeah. patio chair, it's like exactly. get out and about. And the reason you travel is to immerse yourself, or it should mm-hmm. be. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. I mean, you're my kind of guy. I mean, because it's like I have looked into a, if I meet a, an interesting person, you know, I will spend time there, and then they tell you about other places to go and you're like, you know, where you, you really feel like you've been there. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know yeah. I was, I can tell people when I went to um, Charleston and I just ha- I was looking for a black tour, but then someone told me about an art gallery and then talking in that, going into that art gallery, 
just getting into an amazing conversation with a woman who was in there who then told me about, oh, you need to go and meet this person and do all that. And it was just like better than, you know, paying $20 to getting on a tour bus and riding around, you know. I felt I really knew the city. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll add a disclaimer to that. I, I get where you come from, but also the way I set up my trips, my group trips, and I only do group trips, by the way, um, the way mm-hmm. I set them up, um, I do them in phases. So the first phase is typically, well, obviously after you get some rest after a long flight, I don't do anything <laughs> the first day. Second day, mm-hmm. I always do a like a feel of the city activity, whether it's those hop-on, hop-off buses. That's a good way to get oriented. And it's also cheap transportation. <laughs> so cheap is, mm-hmm. you know, you can find mm-hmm. You already paid for it, and you can just go around and get off on multiple stops. Um, so it's get the lay of the land first. Um, you're not really going to get to learn too much, like in terms of neighborhood, individual neighborhoods and the feel of them and talking to people. But that's a good way to start. Uh, number two, now that you've got the lay of the land, uh, now you can start exploring. Mm-hmm. Go out and about. You, you saw something along the hop-on, hop-off bus tour during your regular bus tour that captivated you or sparked your interest a little? Go there. Check it out. Learn a little bit more about it. Talk to a few people. Um, immerse yourself. So that's that's the that's the key. And then like mm-hmm. it's all about learning. And the third one, now you can get into let's say the monuments, the museums, dive into whatever your purpose, your number one purpose for going there. Um, obviously, you didn't know about like the little mom and pop store, the neighborhoods, and all that. Um, you know about the Eiffel Towers, <laughs> you know about the Big Bands, you know about, you know, like in Japan, like Himiji Castle, you, you know, or Angkor Wat in Cambodia, you knew about those. So do that. Definitely don't miss what made those places famous, but don't limit yourself. And the fourth one is typically just relax and bask <laughs> in your, mm-hmm. the knowledge recap. You know, you don't want to, and that reason is I call this a free day. You don't want to, like, run around, go there, run around like you're chicken with your head cut off, and it's like it, then the vacation becomes stressful. You know, find, find some rela- relaxation activity, go out to, like, go dancing, go go to a nice restaurant by the the water, um, even check, check out a movie. You know, just do something relaxing and almost pretend you live there now. <laughs> like mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Crazy things happen. Like- Maybe you like it so much you go back. Okay, Mike, we're going to take our first break, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about traveling and you. So we'll be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com.
And we're back here with Mike Henderson. I'm telling you, Mike, I know a lot of people. I mean, I know some people who plan that trip, you know. You know, they're looking for it. They've traveled and done it. But I know people who don't even have a passport, have never been out of their home city. And if you come up with it, like, you know, let's go here. Why would I go there? You know, I don't know anybody there. I don't know anything. Or they think that it's just going to be like a big, when they weigh it against the things things in life, it's like, well, you know, I just can't afford to do that. Or they're always saying like, one day I'm going to travel. One day I'm going to travel. What do you say to people like that when you meet someone and you're talking about, you know, some place that you've been or, or that they should do that? What do you say to the one who the people who want to say, well, one day or, you know, I've never been there. What would I do there? What do you? How do you bring out that adventurer in someone and help them overcome? those fears they might have. So one of the main things is money, uh, um, whether they have that individual spirit or not, they think it's beyond their reach. Uh, my travel experience and my travel preference is actually to, it's budget travel. Um, when uh-huh. I say budget, it's not, you know, living, you know, staying in a hostel, although there's some really nice hostels in Europe, but um, that's not what I mean. I mean, common sense budget travel. Like, I only like coach. I mean, in first class, if it works for you and you can afford it, it's fine. I can afford it. It's just that I work, you know, it's a tin can with wings uh-huh. <laughs> floating from place to place. I'd rather use that those resources on, on the ground experiences, whether you're taking a, an immersive tour or you're paying for transportation on the ground to get to some exotic location that you were told about um, good food, uh, it's, even if you want to buy authentic souvenirs, not you know imported from somewhere else. <laughs> um, uh-huh. Just redirecting your resources, uh, maximizing your resources. Just if you you know don't you don't have to stay in the four star or five star hotel. You know I, I'm pretty good at finding three star that are comparable. So uh-huh. I, I've worked with people's budgets. Uh, like I said, I do group travel, and that's another incentive as well. It's generally cheaper to travel in groups. You know, the costs are spread out a lot more. Um, and it's uh, you get, at least travel agents get a lot of really good group rates. So my whole goal is to make it accessible for people. So, and the second thing is, oh, I've never been anywhere. And, and speaking as a, a black person from America, that's You've heard it to, oh, they don't like us over there. Or, you know, you mentioned, what would I do over there? Um, it depends on where, what there you're talking about. <laughs> like if uh-huh. it's in the uh-huh. news, you know, where there's problems. Obviously, a lot of it's common sense. There's places in America I wouldn't go necessarily because there's right. problems going on. <laughs> so you, you know what I'm saying. So it's a lot of it's common sense. But at the same time, uh, challenge yourself. Challenge yourself. It sounds like a contradiction, but challenge yourself to prove yourself wrong. Uh-huh. So that's one of the ways I got out and about. Um, like when I first time I went to Spain, you know, I heard something. Oh, you know, they're you know, you're black, and you know, you, there's a couple of people. Oh, you're kind of racist over there, and I'm like, really? <laughs> um, 
I kind of like delayed that for a bit, just listening to other people. So let, number one, stop listening to other people. <laughs> Do your own research. <laughs> uh, find, find, ask questions of a professional, like who's been there or, um, and plan trips there. Uh, so then you might learn some things that, hey, maybe it's not like that, you know, um, necessarily. It depends on, like I said, just like here, it depends on where you're talking about. So that, and okay. that's one of the challenges with us as a people is we self-limit because of the perception that we perceive other people have of us. So it's, it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. It just eats upon itself over and over. So the only way we change perceptions is to get out and show our face. Okay, I have. Okay, first of all, um, you brought it up traveling. Now I have traveled with black people or black groups. I have traveled like um in mixed groups, I've traveled on business with mixed groups. And one of the things that I have found that sometimes there's a view of Americans, but there's also an understanding of you as a black person. And I have been and and in part, like when I went with one time and it was like part of it had to do with what and I really understood the term ugly American, and those weren't black people, the way that they were, that privilege, that entitlement. When I had found that some of the people related to me differently than they did to my white co-travelers, is that something that you've witnessed? Yes, um, I have. I mean, there's, it's unavoidable if you travel enough especially as a like a solo traveler if you're uh, a black traveler um at the same time whoever is directing that at you they they don't necessarily represent the entire community there um uh-huh. i just isolated that person's representing themselves and whatever ignorance a lot of it probably is about us as a people our culture and what we're really like besides what they may see in movies and tv um, I just chalk it up to that. I don't take it personally. You know, you know, if someone uh-huh. disrespects you or something, then, then it's that's a different story. But you know, openly, you know, or block your path or whatever, that's a whole different story. But I don't let that ruin my good vibe. I don't, you know, I, I spend my heart on money to travel, um, and I'm not going to let that ruin my experience. You know, in a lot of places, I know it sounds cheesy, and we've all heard it, but it is it may start off as curiosity you know there's a line you know there's lines to be crossed you know like you hear the stories about like black women going to certain asian countries and they're touching your hair mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah mm-hmm. uh, yeah obviously yeah obviously that's crossing a line so it, it goes beyond curiosity because you know um you wouldn't they wouldn't come here like to america and then start walking up touching a black woman's hair. Uh-huh. <laughs> you don't say why? Why? Why would they do it over there? So that's that's not a that's beyond curiosity. But other times, if I've had people, oh, can I take a picture with you? Yeah, uh, to a certain limit. Yeah, whatever you're comfortable with. If you feel <laughs> uncomfortable, you're not obliged to to put yourself on display like that. You know, you did. If you travel enough, you kind of get a sense of whether you're being treated like a a zoo exhibit or it's it's genuine sincere curiosity. Uh, it, it it comes with experience, but it, but don't 
I would say my advice is don't let any of those stories stop you from getting out there and uh, experiencing travel. You know, you just learn how to navigate those experiences, just like you navigate social experiences, negative and positive, here at home. Uh-huh. Now, do you speak other languages? Oh, I, I wish. <laughs> I, I dabble. <laughs> um, yeah, I get. I got. Yeah, I live in LA, and I feel bad that I had to. I had to, I took Spanish. I got straight A's in high school, but then I really didn't use it as much as I should have. So, but I, I feel bad. I, I, I know enough to be dangerous, <laughs> but that's, that's definitely my goal of 2023. I bought all these uh, language courses, so that that's my goal. I want to learn Portuguese. Um, that's one of my Portugal is one of my retirement candidates. Um, uh-huh. Portugal, Panama, Malta, and maybe Mexico. So I have to brush up in a few languages. I mean, there's enough English spoken, but at the same time, I, I want to at least be respectful, you know, to at least learn it. If you're going to move somewhere, at least learn the language. Mm-hmm. Your first trip, you know, that you really consider this is this is it, the first trip. Where was it and why did you pick that place? My very first international trip? Um, uh, your first one that's most for, memorable you know, to you. How's that? Oh, okay, well, Yosemite. Uh, conveniently right here in California. Like, I've been all over the world for the most part, and it's still the most beautiful place on the planet, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was right up my hiking alley. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, and I went by myself in my old my old beat-up Buick Skylark, my first car, <laughs> a long time ago. Um, surprised, I'm surprised it made it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that that was definitely exhilarating. It, it, just, it was just magical. I mean, I, I never forgot it, and that, that just you know, expanded my desire to see more and more places and do more and more things. So, yeah, if anybody's never been to Yosemite, definitely that should be on everybody's bucket list, especially during my favorite time is going in May when the waterfalls are at their highest. You feel like you're in a cartoon, basically, when you're walking around there. But, yeah, that was my first and most memorable trip. And where have you been more than once? Uh, Asia is my special. Yeah, oh yeah, I've been there like twenty, thirty mm-hmm. times. But um, Southeast Asia is one of my specialties: Thailand, Cambodia, and also East Asia, Japan. Uh, I've been to the Philippines. Uh, I would, in terms of the most, I would say Southeast Asia and, and East Asia. My nephew lives in Osaka. Um, mm. My oldest nephew. So, yeah, that's some. And I plan trips there pretty much yearly. Group trips. So I'm I'm pretty well versed in that region. So we were ta- we were talking earlier about like how you can see like you see groups of women traveling, you see some men traveling, but not so much as that. And then also there are people who are in now, like I know that for the LGBTQ community, like we don't have. I mean, we might go on the Olivia cruise. And there are other cruises that are for us, but they aren't specifically for the black LGBTQ community. What would, what do you say, like, to people who are black and gay and thinking about, you know, how do you pick where to go? How do you, how do you use a barometer as 
is this the place to go? And should you plan on going solo? Should you try to go in a group? Uh, every place I pick out, you can do either. Um, and I say that because uh, I would definitely recommend going in a group first, obviously. But one of the things I want to people to take away is, okay, you have all this knowledge, and now you, like I mentioned, learning your way of your laid land and being able to explore your own. Um, one of the things I want people to take away from every one of my trips is feeling empowered and not afraid. And, you know, if you want to go solo, you want to go to some place halfway around the world, you can do that um, and feel confident in where you're going and how to find your way back and the procedures, you know, going to customs, et cetera. A lot of it sounds basic to um, other cultures who may travel more, but that's part of my my goal as well um, with my groups and my website is to facilitate that learning and building that confidence. Um, you mentioned black women traveling. Uh, one of the reasons why I created I have I created a group called Black Gay International Travelers on Meetup first, Meetup.com, and then Facebook. Um, the original purpose of creating that group was to encourage more black men to travel. I started off particularly with uh, gay black men. Um, you know, black men already, it's they don't really travel as much as black women. And black women will travel solo if they have to. Uh, everybody's seen how Stella got a group back <laughs> and movies like that. And I, traveling myself internationally, like if I see another black person nine times out of 10, you know, like if I'm in Laos or Cambodia or whatever, and nine times out of 10, that black person is a black woman solo or with mm. a group. Very few like black men traveling and even less so black gay men because there's that fear of obviously discrimination on top of just that, that fear of, being stereotyped, that fear of being feared. <laughs> so, uh-huh, um, uh-huh. so yeah, that, that's one of the, that's the main reason why I started that group, Black Gay International Travelers, to get to facilitate that and create an avenue and say, hey, it's okay. Uh, if maybe you'll feel safer in numbers. So let's let's have a group, and I I stage events or I never really announce it, but they're pretty much what I call blackouts, <laughs> where uh-huh. we just kind of like get 50, 50 of them are in the middle of Tokyo, 50 of them are in the middle of Tokyo or, or something. That's And then we're going to get looks and stares. That's fine. Uh, I view it as admiration. You know, and, that, and they, I want people to feel that way as well. And you build confidence from that. It's like, hey, we're not, you know, we're nice professional black men. We're dressed nice. We can afford to travel. You know, we're, we're not what you see on TV. We're not what you, you know, you heard in the movies or what narrative has been put on you by other, you know, sources. So, um, and then it's expanded since, of course, it, that was the, the overall goal, the long-term goal, rather, was to expand it and get more black, black people in general to travel, whether straight, gay, but it is still primarily an LGBT organization that I do plan group trips for the LGBT, the black LGBTQ plus community, uh-huh. um, which I feel needs more options to travel because obvious, obvious limitations with the laws in different countries. So I, that is my primary focus, though. 
but I don't turn away straight groups as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. When you started, I mean, you're, you're the CEO of Bag Travel. When did you decide, you know, like, this is real. I'm going to do this. This is my passion. And you've already talked a lot about what you wanted to provide for people. How did you go from, like, the meetup to, I mean, you're, you're the real deal, you know. I look at the places that you, you take that. And how difficult was it for you to get that going? So I was actually, I've been doing this for about 20 years, but just now I didn't really start back travel until last year. I didn't, mm-hmm. I was basically doing it privately for friends, family, traveling with groups, uh, coworkers, um, planning trips for people who heard about me, group trips. Um, so I never really thought, oh, you know, took it seriously enough to, oh, I can actually make a, you know, just turn into a business, which actually empowers me to do a lot more than I could have done done before in terms of like becoming a travel agent and having access to vendors that I didn't have access to before for better deals and more scale. So so it's, it wasn't a recent thing. I've actually been doing it for a while kind of on my own as a hobby, a very fun hobby. And mm-hmm. so it, it never, it still has, doesn't feel like work to me. So I, I do work, I work for a, a large telecommunications company. I've been there for 25 years. So this is a, this is not my main um time sink, so to speak. So, yeah, okay. but to me, this is fun. This is relaxing. This is therapeutic for me. I love hearing stories of people who come back from trips that I put together, that I curated for them. And I and I listen to, like, so I don't just like, oh, here's a place, you know, here's how to get your tickets. Uh, here's a random hotel. Okay, bye. Have fun. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm more of a, like, tell me about yourself. Tell me about what do you like to do? What have you heard about this place that you that you may have presented to me. Um, what do you expect to get out of it? So I, I do interviews when I'm talking to people initially so I can curate a trip. And I also imagine myself on it as well. Like, what do, what would I want to do? Um, and then I throw that those suggestions out there. And then I get a – never have I got a, gotten a, um, oh, that's that's impossible. I can't do that. It's – I, I speak from it from a – point of view of um i think all humans are curious uh and i, I don't you know say okay let's here go to mount everest and climb to the top no i'm just realistic you know just mm-hmm. uh, it's learning about where you are diving into the neighborhoods which everybody loves to do. everybody like everybody likes to explore check out new foods um like i do food uh arrange for foodie tours and um there's a now there's i see more and more tour companies popping up like there's one called tours by locals and where it's more intimate smaller as I mentioned before, like neighborhood tours, like real people, real events, real stores, real products, real food. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what I'm into. And I think everybody, I think that's what people relate to. And then when, when I put trips and places in those terms, these places become less intimidating. You know, they, oh, it's so far, it's so far away, but that means nothing. It's just time you spend on a plane. When you land, people are, people are generally the same everywhere. Um, it's just that there's different cultural differences that can be celebrated and you can immerse yourself within and also enjoy the natural beauty of the place that you went to. I like how you say how you curate the trip. You talk to the people to find out what they like, you know, because sometimes I know like you could get a cruise and they give you like a, a menu. Well, this is all that's available. You know, you, you figure it out, you know, 
and, and that part to talk to people to find out what they really are interested in to sort of put that trip together for them. And then it sounds like you do a debrief after to find out what they like, which which will make it better for the next group. Exactly. Or then if they want to go back. Uh, let's Okay, mm. what should we try next this time? So mm-hmm. I, I, um, I joke to the group members a lot, but if I go on a trip, which I do often when, um, when I arrange the group trips for the Black and International Travelers, I also run a couple of the groups. Of, I started a group called Black in Asia, and another I took over as the admin of um, Black and Gay in L.A., and um, I'm starting a few other groups where specializing in certain continents. But use, if I plan a group trip for those groups, typically I go, and I, I joke that it's, oh, I'm, I'm going anyway. You guys are just hanging out with me. <laughs> You're going to have the time of your life. And, that, and it's true. So I want them to have just as much fun as I am. You know, no one wants to be around a bunch of unhappy people <laughs> on, you know, because vacation time is precious <laughs> and uh, people want to spend their hard-earned money to have an experience of their life. Um, so I, I just view it that way, that way. I'm just hanging out with a bunch of friends and we're going to have fun. No no, no stress, no drama. I, I put a little rule in my Facebook group, you know, leave all your baggage at home, so to speak. <laughs> you know, whatever exactly, like... And I, I say that metaphorically and realistically. I'm a backpacker. Like, leave your luggage at home. Luggage just slows you down. So I, I'll show you, hey, here's how to pack a backpack, you know, for a whole oh. five-week tour. <laughs> just uh-huh. wash and repeat, fold very neatly, be smart about what you bring and what you don't bring. Um, so that that's a, just little tips like that to make things a lot more enjoyable where you're spending less time in the logistics of traveling, you know, picking up your luggage, you know, running from here to here, and actually more time enjoying the leisure part of it. So I'm very, like, I emphasize efficiency in travel. Mm-hmm. You know, that is so true because I can recall, like, when being younger and going away for the weekend and looking like I was never coming back home, to where now going away for a week and I've got this one, you know, bag because I'm like you said, there's certain things you're going to wash out, you know, you're going to put them on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, where before I was, I was prepared for every possibility from a formal occasion down to, you know, you know, swimwear, everything. I had everything going. So now it's like, you know, I'm not going through this airport like a pack mule with all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I oh, mean, that yeah. is such, that's such a great trip. And thank God for the travel, little portable travel steamers. You can just knock out the wrinkles like that. Just kidding. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, um, it, it helps to uh-huh. speed things up a bit. You know, I hate waiting for luggage. And if I'm traveling with a group, it's like, hey, I'm looking at my watch. I'm not waiting for you. Let's go. Come on. <laughs> let's get to the uh-huh. hotel and let's start having fun. You know, yeah. you don't need to pack, pack like you're never coming back, like you said. <laughs> Okay, we're going to take our second break. Then I want to talk about your business and about these trips, which I think are just, like, exciting. So we'll be right there. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday 
at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. back to our collections by Michelle Brown. Mike, you know, this COVID, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, you know, it has had us on lockdown. I think that I have been home more, even like to the short trips where, like you said, it doesn't always have to be overseas, just like to go to a park or someplace where I know where they have a great zoo and I can go and do that. But you, we've been like on lockdown. So I think that everyone is, is about ready to to bust loose. Um, are you hearing, first of all, how did you handle the pandemic? You know, um, not personally, not being able to travel as much as you wanted to. And then as you were trying to develop this into a business, how did that affect you? And do you see that people now are ready to just like, you know, just get out there? So during the pandemic, I shifted my focus to obviously domestic locations. Like I would go to like uh, Bryce Canyon, Zion, Glacier National Park, Yosemite, of course, <laughs> and outdoorsy type things. So it's all about adjustment. So I'm not going to, you know, plan something that I'm not sure if the country's going to be open or some event that's indoors, you know, during that time. So I, all I did was just shift the mentality a bit and plan things that were appropriate for that particular time. Um, as far as starting the business, I, I did start toward the latter half of last year, actually like forming it. Um, so it didn't really affect that in a sense um, in terms of getting bookings to start coming in. You know, people had you know two years of pent up travel money and people were just cabin fever and <laughs> everybody's just like itching to get out. Um, so, and just the vendors I work with, yeah, they're they're really uh, busy, busier than they've ever. It's ironic, busier than they've ever been. Um, definitely, it's a it's a boom time right now. It's a great time to travel. I mean, fuel costs are up now, but that's even reason enough to not delay. Uh, when you you mentioned earlier, uh, one day, one day I'm going to do it. Uh, that later on, you know, fuel prices can go up in terms of airline fees, uh-huh. and, or you're taking a road trip somewhere in your car. Uh, definitely consider that and just get out and do it because one day may never turn out. You know, like I mentioned, life is short, you know, and it's like, what are you waiting for? Like what's more important than, you know, family, you have family, you have friends, you have love, and also just have a love of place too, um, Uh whether it's your place and have a love of the adventure, you know, make them have a love of being alive and feeling alive. And I don't know too many sources of that kind of joy than travel. You know, I, I'm not a materialistic person at all. Like I make decent money even like without the travel company. Um, but I never, I, I don't need a fancy car. And I'm not, I'm not much of a, I'm gay, but I don't dress. I'm not much of a dresser. So no one asked me for advice, by the way, on what to wear. So. 
you know, I'm not the best. So I don't really spend money on things, junk, um, things that are just superficial that you that won't last. You know, like a you get the you know certain electronic, and that's already outdated in a year. <laughs> so um, I spend it on adventures. I spend it on travel. I spend it on experiences. Um, because it, those are you never forget. I mean, those are those will be with you for your life, and they're also growing opportunities as well. So I, I just that's just me. Um, not judging people, but I, I just feel like that's the best use of your precious time you have off from work, and also it's a good investment in yourself. Now you know that the, the big question is you know because. We're going to be living with this virus in some way, shape, or form, probably from here on out. Many people I know are like, oh, I'd be afraid to go someplace. What if we can't get back? What do you think about as if someone comes and they say, you know, we want to do, we've always wanted to go to Thailand or someplace. I, I don't know why that popped in my mind, but it did. I've always wanted to go to Thailand, but will I be able to go? Will I be able to come back? What do people need to know, not only as far as with the virus, but protecting their trip? I know, like, you know, there are some people say, I'd never buy travel insurance. Is that, what do people need to be thinking about as they book their dream vacation, particularly if it's out of the country? So they, sh- I always recommend travel protection always, um, whether you're traveling out of the country or just taking a road trip a few states away. You never know what can happen. Um, and it's you just don't want the chance of your dream vacation, like I mentioned, precious travel time, um, to be ruined without a quick recovery option. So that's number one. Um, and as far as COVID, uh, I definitely check the CDC website, and that's something that I do for the clients as well. I keep obviously tabs on the destinations that they go into and make sure they're informed. And I have the WebEx calls, the joint calls with the vendors, and they go over the, not only the logistics, but everything they're hearing on the ground. They answer any questions as far as that and keeping constant touch all the way up until departure and even further beyond because things could change while you're on your trip. So they might change maybe the next uh, uh, Zeta variant <laughs> will come out while they're mm-hmm. on vacation and things change. And, you know, that's, that's something that I make sure that the clients are updated on. Or if I'm on a trip, I make sure that filters down to everybody's on that, that's on the trip and then make sure everybody is safe according to the local standards that have been put in place. So it's constantly evolving. And you made a good point. COVID may be here to stay. Um, so it's just a matter of management at this point. You know, there's no magical. We don't know if you're waiting around for COVID to end for you to travel. You might be waiting for a while. <laughs> um, uh-huh. that, that one day may become no day. So uh-huh. it's all about management. Definitely I, I whatever people's personal beliefs as far as vaccination, but um, I definitely recommend it. Uh, and some places, many places, require it, proof of vaccination, I would say most, to go. Um, but, yeah, it's constantly in flux. And one thing I tell people, and I, I had a few clients recently, 
they want to, oh, what, what is it like? Um, I think the trip is like six months away. It's like, oh, okay, what do I need to know? It's like, okay, um, number one, keep track of these sources and, you know, reach out to me if you have any questions. But at the same time, things can change on a, at the drop of a dime. So what we know now may not necessarily be what's relevant six months from now. But we'll be in touch all the way up until then and after then. Uh-huh. So don't let that necessarily, whatever condition exists now, unless it's you, you're targeting a place that's already closed, then that's a different story. But um, don't let that deter you. If you're targeting a country or countries that are currently open, don't let the fear of something closing again um, deter you. Get your travel protection coverage and stay in close touch with the professionals who help book your trip and the people who are traveling with you. Okay, now you, you talked about curating and you know how you're talking with people. Okay, so sometimes you think that this is a great group to travel with. <laughs> From your experience, you know, and, and in talking to groups and they're getting ready to, and your your motto about leaving the baggage at home. Let what would you give as advice to? maybe a group who had never traveled together as a way of sort of feeling one another out to see if this is a good match. Because nothing's worse than to end up, you know, someplace away from home and you go like, why did we invite them? (laughs) Yes. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) I've been there, done it. But (laughs) what I learned is, yeah, what what I learned is uh, it's even just like if you're a group leader, just kind of take that person to the side, not necessarily in a condescending way, but it's part of being outside of your community is also getting outside of yourself. So it's not about you, you know, you, okay, it's fine. You can think you're fabulous or whatever. <laughs> That's fine. Um, you can be the, you know, the star of the show when you're at home, but have some humility, get outside of yourself. Uh, be open to new things and experiences and be respectful of the people that you're with. Um, humble. That's the key. Uh, not necessarily, you know, people are what they are. They're different personalities. But at the same time, here's, it's always the reminder, okay, you're like getting into it with so-and-so over here. It's like, okay, so you had to beg your boss for three weeks off and you're spending a couple thousand dollars. Is this really how you want to? use this precious time, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. to do something you could do at home, you know, with, you know, get into, it's like, why? Like, you're not just doing it to the people who are on the trip, you're doing it to yourself. You're wasting your own time. You know, if you have a problem with somebody, you know, just let them be. Don't let them ruin your vacation. I admit, like I mentioned earlier about the perception <laughs> and maybe some negative encounters. Don't let people have power over you to ruin a good time. You know, if, if they're out of line, like as a group leader, you know, I mean, there's disciplinary actions. So sure, you know, hey, okay, <laughs> see ya. Here's your refund or something. Um, if they come down to that for a private group, I mean, uh-huh. to be honest, I mean, or, or they're putting the group in danger. Like, oh, we're all going to get kicked out of the hotel because this person is, you know, acting yeah. wild and out of control. Yeah, that's, uh-huh. there's codes of conduct and just if people don't follow it, I mean, there are consequences and there should be. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. I, I, I understand that. <laughs> I've had one of those experiences like, are they out of their mind? Do they realize, you know, I'm not going to jail. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, it happens. Oh, yeah. 
what is a good size, you know, for your your service? What is a good size group to plan a vacation that you like to work with as far as planning a vacation where they can go through the different steps that of a vacation that you plan for them to see? What's a good size? So if you had asked me that before I started the company, I would say 10. But I have uh-huh. a lot more scale now, and it depends on what they're doing. Like the biggest event probably I have this year is Munich for Oktoberfest, which will definitely definitely happen. Um, had a couple of challenges last the last few years because of COVID, but it's on this year, and that's, that is the biggest beer festival, pretty much the biggest party in the world. So that I could scale to, let's say, 100 or more. Um, with the help of several vendors, so, but I have a core group that my my original group that I'm traveling with, and that's like 40. So I kind of just watch over them, but also watch over the other ones with the assistance of uh, our chaperones with our vendors, and they're all constantly in touch with me um, to make adjustments or anybody has problems and they're taken care of. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, it depends on what. So some places might be a little better suited to smaller crowds. Um, Some places are, you know, if you're going, I'll just preface it. So one of my my MO is I like to do what I call umbrella events. So I typically book my trips, the ones I come up with um, for the groups, um, big festivals or big events that this place is known for. Like we're going to Rio for Carnival next in February 2023 and Bahia to the north. And then we're going to, and I mentioned Oktoberfest earlier, um, in Thailand, uh, we're going next April to Songkran. Um, Thailand this year, we're seeing the Lantern Festivals in Chiang Mai. And um, uh-huh. so it's it's all in, tip, obviously, the Gay Pride, too. <laughs> Went to Malta for the Malta Pride. That's how we're going to start our European trip. Just, we're going to be wow. gone the entire month of September. Malta, uh-huh. Germany, um, then Spain and Portugal. In Spain, has Barcelona has the La Mercy Festival, so that, that's it's going to be amazing. So I I create umbrella events. So not that I don't like to entertain people, but at the same time, um, that provides filler in the in between times for my scheduled like tours and get-togethers during the that particular time in the city. So if there people are looking for something to do, hey, there's a giant festival here. <laughs> that's why we came here. Uh-huh. So we, we have some downtime. So. I, and I don't like to pack uh, the itinerary full of like my own events. I like to let the city speak for itself or the area speak for itself. So I, I put I sprinkle in like immersive activities here and there, and get people a day off here and there to to enjoy that that festival. This is why we. This is the main reason why we came here. Now we're all here to enjoy it together. And um, and by the way, here's a little, here's a boat tour we can take together. Here's an you know immersive hike. Here's a, a foodie tour that we're going to take. So it's all it, it's all interwoven, but I always do an umbrella event. To uh, that's always the cover for um, any downtime or people who just want to, uh, even people who want to spend the majority of their time, they're doing that. Um, that's fine too. And Puerto Vallarta, that's the next one that's coming up uh, Memorial Day weekend. That's Puerto Vallarta Pride, so mm. that'll be about 40 people. So in the Bob, now I think all the hotel rooms are sold out in Puerto Rico, so that tells me the fear of COVID is not so much, um, and that city's going to be insane. So, 
Um, I know that you talked about hotels. Um, what are other options that people can have to to do this group travel to if they're looking at sharing the wealth, I mean, sharing the expense, because that's one of the things about group travel. I mean, I've known people who where a group of them might, you know, it's a small group of them, they might um, rent a house. You hear people talking about, oh, well, we can do an Airbnb. Do you weigh in on, uh, on, you know, if someone comes to you and they say, well, we want something more intimate, you know, how, what do you weigh in? What's the advantages? What would you say as far as advantages of being at a hotel or resort as opposed to one of these other options? So my, I do lean towards hotels and resorts just for the sake that you have services there and mm-hmm. assistance when you need it um, immediately, unless it's like a better breakfast, bed and breakfast, but that's like really small and intimate. And also the factor of distance. So if you want a private home, it may or may not be close enough to the attractions that you want to see and go to on a frequent basis. Um, so that's another consideration. Uh, but I, I do lean towards, I do definitely try to push towards hotels because, quite frankly, the price difference isn't, if you do it right, the price difference really isn't much or the hotels could actually be less in a lot of cases because there's lots of deals uh, that can mm-hmm. be had. Um, so I don't really see... Unless you're having a private party over a certain number of days where you necessarily wouldn't necessarily be able to have that in a hotel, I don't really see the advantage. Uh, although I, I do, don't get me wrong, I, I do vacation home requests. Um, so it, it depends on the situation. Um, what's okay? Well, it's what are you here for? What are you doing? And that will kind of dictate the appropriate stay venue for you. Um, like. I keep talking about Yosemite, but one of the one nice thing to do for a group is if you're going there in the winter, like for Christmas or something, you don't want to stay mm-hmm. in a hotel. You obviously there's like there's cabins in the park itself, like some mm. even like log type cabins. Beautiful, have the fireplace going, the mistletoe, the wreath, and you know it's beautiful. But things like that I would recommend. So it depends on the what you want to accomplish in the setting. So it's but I do by default I typically lean towards hotels um, because I book. Um, groups for special umbrella events, so to speak, which are typically in urban areas. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to tell you, I have a passport, and, like, I keep a pass, I keep my passport, and I keep it up to date because you never know. <laughs> and I want to be, be prepared, and I've seen people have to go through that hustle to try to get, oh, I want to go, you need a passport. Um, you know, and I think that a lot of people don't think that. You know, it's like, well, what if you have it and you don't go anyplace? You know, you already have it. Coming up on an event, because I know you offer uh, a host of services, and one of it is, like, you help people with their passport. Um, could you take us through, like, if you were talking to someone about building their dream vacation and, and traveling in a group and, and having that, the documents that they're going to need, what are those things? And then I know you've mentioned, you know, a few things that you have coming up, but could you go through some of the, the I mean, really great activities? I hear you're talking into 2023, which is really probably right around the corner. Tell us about that. So that's, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's a starting point. Uh, 
there could be no further discussion until <laughs> uh, no I'll, I'll still talk to you but there there's uh, that's definitely <laughs> the first thing I recommend people to do is uh definitely get your passport I work with the one of the largest uh processor of uh CPIT they're the one of the I think the biggest company that um provides passport and visa services so and definitely I, I'll give them the link to that to move forward with them and they're very good as far as um, getting people on the phone and you know answering questions and uh figuring out their time frame sense of urgency but that's that's number one um you want to because of the delays yeah there's still a lot of delays with the uh, passports horse i hear still plenty of horror stories even worse than before after COVID sort of threw things a lot of things out of whack as far as even the passport request. So I definitely recommend getting that taken care of ASAP. And once that's settled, then we get into, if I come up with a trip, just to back up, so I I pretty much already have it curated. It's whether it's places I've been before, or if it's places I've never been, I'm very good at research. <laughs> so, and then talking to people and that's part of it. And then I curate a trip and I put the list of activities um, that I, I feel the group would enjoy. And then I get I open it up for feedback. Uh, like, what do you think of this? Oh, and then someone might have an idea. I've heard you can do this here too, and I, I do this little research. I kind of view myself as I, I'm providing. Uh, I am providing a service even for the private group. Um, I'm here to help the members uh, learn more about the world and learn more about themselves and other people. Um, and I want to definitely facilitate that. So I starts with the passport, and the next thing is let's curate the trip. So. Thailand, for example, it depends whether it's two, one in April next year, and there's one in November of this year. This year, it's the theme is the Lantern Festivals in Chiang Mai, you know, where you have the, uh, I'm sure everybody's seen the videos on YouTube where they have the uh, lighted lanterns that they, you know, that float up into the sky or the ones that float down the river. And um, so being a gay group, <laughs> uh, of course, I, you know, have the typical, well, let's, let's hang out in Phuket, let's, you know, do the, the night scene and, the, you know, the shows and things like that. That's fine and everything. But I also like this to build my trip around umbrella events and little sub-events around the umbrella event. So like the Lantern Festival, we're actually going to learn more about Chiang Mai. We're just not there to, you know, go to that festival. We're also kind of immersing ourselves in, like, there's a cooking class, uh, going to the visit, like, a hill tribe in the the hills about Chiang Mai, like the village and uh it's so in the elephant sanctuary there. So it's it's like learning different aspects of that area that are outside of that umbrella event as well. So there's a whole list. And I, a lot of them those ones I mentioned, like whether I'm I'm planning those, I put I put them as options. So I don't necessarily say, Oh, every I have to drag everybody here and over here. So I, I leave it open. So I just provide like a breakout of price by option. Typically um, individual like tours or events like that, typically it's a uh, minimum of 10 people. So if I get that amount, then I, I typically put it together. But some are a little more, I can do smaller groups occasionally, um, subgroups that can go off and see a different kind of adventure or do the cooking class or do basket weaving or whatever they want to do. So I, I kind of leave it open and just list these different options and let people do a a la carte to some extent. So, but I do, like I said, Kayarki umbrella event, and then a few major group events. Like I always start off with the the first night is the group dinner. Obviously, you don't want to just like show up, 
bunch of people mm-hmm. you just met. You're going to spend weeks with and not talk, <laughs> not introduce yourself. So I always have the opening dinner. You know, I, I typically cover it. Um, we find a large venue or even the hotel ballroom. Like I would uh, rent that out and like have a like, get together, introduce yourself. What do you do? What do you do in terms of travel? Um, just find people want to talk about work, but we're not, we're not here to talk about that at this time. So, and I say that because we have another event. I typically, um, like professional networking, like toward the end, like whether it's the ending dinner or close to it. So I, I don't want to, I know people maybe have certain agendas, like they want to go there. Oh, this is my chance to pass on my business card to everyone I, I meet, but that's fine. Like save that to the end. I, I don't want to cut that off because part of this is I want uh, not only more black males and um, gay males and black females and uh, black or lesbians, gay, LGBT, black travelers, but also want to strengthen the community because them uh-huh. make contacts. You know, you might meet some business contacts on this trip. Um, not only from where you come from, who travel, who left the same place you left, but right where you have a trip to Ghana coming up in um, July, and then we're going to Kenya, Tanzania, uh, September. So it's like. Um, I want people to make connections across the African um, world, I guess, so to speak. And I, I say that uh-huh. I throw a whole blanket over the planet, you know. Oh, yeah. North America, South America, where we build those connections. Uh-huh. You know, just network with each other. You might, hey, who knows, you might meet some distributor, you sell like t shirts, you might meet some manufacturer, and, you know, over here that you didn't consider before and vice versa, and there's mutual benefits, like globalism, but inside our community as well, like strengthening that tie and uh, helping each other out. And not only that, business-wise, but also culturally as well. Just opening that that um, line of dialogue and repairing those wedges that have, or getting rid of those wedges that have been put in place over the decades and repairing those bonds, even though we're not all in the same physical place anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, that means nothing in a globalized world. Well, let's, let's, let's use that to our advantage. It's easy to get around, and the Internet is very powerful. <laughs> so let's just use that to our advantage and rebuild um, these cultures. Well, you know, that leads, rebuild that, our, that leads me to a really good question because, like you said, we are, I have really close good friends in Michigan, in New York, in mm-hmm. D.C., in Atlanta. And... Mm-hmm. Do you bring groups together like that? Like if we say, you know, this is it, this is the year we're going to all, you know, converge together, but we want to converge together and travel. Is that something that you do? Yes. The website, it's it's the BAG Bag Collective, Mm B-A-G, Black and Gay, (laughs) the BAGcollective.org. That's, it's, it's a global group. I have members from all over South America, um, Africa, North America, Europe, Australia. Um, there, I have black members from all of them. That's the point. I don't want it to be a specific group of people from a specific place. Uh, I mm-hmm. want us to kind of mix together again and get to know each other again and you know, stir that soup up and create a powerful movement. I mean, I, that's one of the reasons I created the, the group and I want it to be as globalized and 
something much bigger is coming along um, probably next year. It's still under uh, trademark, but <laughs> um, it goes along those lines to, uh, I'll just say, that helps organizations, black LGBT organizations work better together. So, but more to come. But uh, this is only, the travel is only means to a greater end. Mm-hmm. So if you were to but go back, part. go into a school, um, and I ask it's because, you know, I have worked with youth, like, who were, like, in their teens or stuff who really don't see themselves sometimes beyond a certain square block area. You know, this is where I grew up. This is where I live. Big Mama yeah. lives around the corner. Auntie Jane lives down here. If you were to go into that school in that neighborhood, in L.A. and Chicago and Atlanta or whatever, and you were going to talk to them about the importance of adventure, the importance of travel, and what it has done for you as building you as that whole individual that you are, what would you say to these young people to sort of just plant that seed in their mind to go get that map of their neighborhood and start exploring? So words only carry so much weight. I would hey, um, let me show you here's some here's the website, here's the videos, here's the testimonials, here's the here's the stories. You know, just relatable things. You know, you know, you were we were all that age, you kinda of just tune people out when they're <laughs> oh, you know, you want to do this and explore and it sounds like lecturing. Um, people wanna see things like especially at that age, you, you want you have to set an example. You have to like mm-hmm. be out there. You know, mm-hmm. be a role model. So like it it's all people a lot of people at that age it's, I mean it's a lot of ages, but especially at that age, you don't believe in it until you see it. Um, mm-hmm. So it's I would just hear, I'd bring some presentations with me here, you know, mm-hmm. and then talk about the people I met, the experiences I had, and just in a real kind of way. You know, I don't need to make a speech about, oh, you should do this, you should do that. No, that you know, I can hear the snores in the audience. <laughs> it's like <laughs> those in one ear, one ear and not the other. It's like... Mm-hmm. You know, I was that age, you know, I didn't want to hear that. I, I was inspired just uh, probably in my blood or whatever. I like I Or I also had a, the Encyclopedia Britannica. My mother just bought the whole set. I don't know if that, I'm dating myself, but that was way before the Internet. <laughs> like the whole, like, I don't know, 50-volume set. I literally read the, all 50 volumes probably multiple times, cover to cover. Mm-hmm. And I learned about all those places, and that's part of what sparked me to travel internationally, like it just fascinated me. So I don't expect everybody, every child or every young teen or whatever to have that same mentality. But by starting this, I I hope to inspire other people by showing, you know, if they want to go to the, like when I get my YouTube videos going, you know, I haven't been able to really plan group trips the last couple of years, but once I get on YouTube or um, I have, or other social media like Instagram and and start getting these trips going, like starting in Puerto Vallarta and on the inter- other international trips. Um, yeah, that's the whole point. I really want to just make it visual and pick, it's cheesy. Picture does. It's ten thousand words in terms of travel <laughs> because mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, picture is worth a 
10,000 words because the you can really, really tell a great story with places that people have never seen before. It, places that people never even imagined they could be. You know, I, I, I'm more of a shower than a teller, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Like, just get out there and do what I did, just set an example. So, you know, Mike, I think that I always say that, you know, and that's what they say now, representation matters. And I see that in a couple of ways that it matters because I know that coming up, I mean, there was a time when I didn't see a lot of black people who were traveling or if they were, I, they weren't in my community or they weren't somebody who I could relate to. And I can so relate to you and everything that you've talked about what you're doing. Um, and also by being there, like you talked about how some people have these stereotypes of what it is, you show up. You show up and you're there and you're bringing other people. So many people, their impression of the black community in America is what they get off TV. And you have, you have groups who are showing up and they're engaged and they're involved. So I think that although it's travel, that's leisure, that's fun, but it's also representation, and that's important. So exactly. I value and appreciate what you're doing, which is why I wanted to talk to you here on Collections by Michelle Brown. So before we go, if someone wants to learn more about bag travel, how do they contact you to get more information? Thanks, Michelle. I had a great time. and I appreciate you having me today. Um, to reach out to me, uh, I have my email as requests at backtravel.net. You can also reach me at... Um, through the website that I travel with on net and the organization, the group site is thebagcollective.org, and it also links to the travel site and it shows the current trips that are posted and much more to come. Actually, I was posting a few trips <laughs> before I talked to you today, and I'll be doing it all through this week. So there, are, a lot of them are in my mind here, and I just haven't put them on the website, but they're coming. Um, so those are the three main sources: requests at bagtravel.org. Net, backtravel.net, and uh, backcollective.org. Well, Mike, I want to thank you for being with me tonight and for sharing this information. You know, I have already seen a couple of trips. I, I've, I've got things lined up for 2022, but it's 2022 is a lot. We've got some time, and I'm looking at 2023, and I'm going, wow, this is really kind of Kind of cool. I've got to get together that group that's going to leave the baggage at home. <laughs> oh, but yeah. um, I appreciate so much what you're doing. Um, as you post you. your new trips, I will pass the information along to make sure that people know to check it out because, hey, as my auntie would say, tomorrow isn't promised to anyone. And you know what? As long as there's planes, trains, and automobiles, we need to get out there and go and see the world. So, Mike, thank you again. Thank you, Michelle. It's my honor. I want to thank my guest, Mike Henderson, founder of the Black and Gay Collective and CEO of Bag Travel. Henderson curates travel adventures for groups of varying sizes for members of the Black LGBTQ plus community 
with a broad range of services, including planning and booking adventures that include cultural immersion, outdoor adventures, and historical tours. Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.